The Dad Ass Podcast. Subpar, mediocre at best. Podcast just trying to figure out this whole parenting and adulting thing. One drink and one conversation at a time. Hey, hey, and welcome to the Dad Ass Podcast, the completely unscripted, unconventional podcast just trying to figure out this whole parenting and adulting thing. Me, I'm Matt, a guy that created a podcast just to call himself a dad ass. And with me is a uh, amazing co-host and good friend, Sean, a.k.a. Dude, the resident family counselor. Sir, how are you doing today? I'm well. Um, I'm just the dude who um, joined a podcast so that I had an excuse to collect the giant amount of bourbon behind me because I can be like, Oh, Kimberly, it's like, it's part of like the thing. I have to get another bottle. So thanks. I appreciate it. You know, it's, it's a win-win situation for, for both of us. And we get to learn some things with cool guests along the way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's a win for you because I have all the booze and you can come over anytime you want and you're, you're close by. So not today though. We're, we're all recording separately via zoom. So sadly, I'm, I'm not drinking what you're drinking, but I've got Eagle rare. So I'm feeling pretty good. Okay. All right. I got a beer and um, actually an Isla Mirada beer. Uh, I like that. Yeah. So, and it was not one that we talked about in our episode with them. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, which actually, now that I'm thinking about it, will that have, has that dropped yet? No. No. So this is like a teaser. It's a teaser of an upcoming episode. Yeah. Um, We're so excited about today's guest and topic that we are actually dropping it before an episode that we recorded. Yeah. Yeah. And both came and, out of Florida now that I think yeah, about that's it. What I've, that's what I was going to say. We are taking right. Florida by storm. That is right. Or is Florida taking over Ohio by snowstorm? Oh, God. The snowstorm. Do you know why I was running so like frantically late? I, I have, it better not be snow. It's 50 degrees here. No, no. I actually even have a half-eaten grilled cheese over there and a bowl of soup I didn't even get to because I was out looking like in all the places for a generator as a backup because they're talking about getting a half inch of ice between yeah. tomorrow night and Friday. A half inch of ice. And Kimberly was like, yeah, if that happens, like... We're not going anywhere, and there's a likelihood because, I don't know, like every other part of the, the world, it seems like, or at least the United States, not the world, but the United States, there's like a labor shortage. So we had this conversation of like, if the power goes out, I don't really know how well like AEP is staffed. So like it could be a while before they turn it back on. So that sent me on this long journey to find a generator. Um, finally, found, finally found one at Lowe's. Um, there you go. But I got the last one. So let me tell you a story. I am an avid backpacker, as you know. I have three different ways at all times to make a fire. Mm -hmm. I have an endless collection, not as big as yours, of bourbon. Mm -hmm. And I've learned in parenthood, you always have to have extra AA and AAA batteries. Mm -hmm. So although we might not have the generator, I have been humbled in my years of parenting and backpacking to be semper paratus, always ready. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I use that as a segue because there's a lot in my adult career, in my personal life, and in parentinghood, in parentinghood, wow, in parenting, and then also, as you know, in marriage, where we are just outright humbled all the time by our mistakes or by things that we say and do or wish we didn't say. And so we thought, what a great way to talk about humility and with whom better than Dr. Matthew Sochik. Uh, the one and only founder and CEO of 68 Rising and a professor at the University of Florida. I've actually worked with this, this legend in my professional Ow. career, um, but I, I can't wait to have him on. I, can't, I, I just, I have to read your, I have it pulled up right here. I can't even see your beautiful smiling face in that vest in, what'd you say, 50 degree Florida? That's right. Uh, that have, you exactly had, right. have you had any iguanas fall on you? Not, not yet. Uh, they, they give you uh, enough warning. Uh, we're up north a little bit, so uh, oh, not okay. as many iguanas up here, but uh, certainly that is a, a concern of Floridians. Florida man. Florida man is, is a real thing here, and uh, I've enjoyed studying him. All right. Well, I, I just want to go out and say this. You, have, you are one of the nation's leading leadership researchers and ed- educators for the past 20 years. 
And you also, outside of being a, a faculty uh, position at the University of Florida, you serve um, as a leadership consultant for the New York Times. And then outside of that, you are a dad who loves to travel, explore hole-in-the-wall beach bars, and write. And you also have a book coming out. So, like, welcome to the program. My first question is, how did we land someone with your stature on such a mediocre and subpar podcast? I actually had a, a simpler that. question. Wow. I, no, <laughs> wow. my actually my question was, uh, Doctor Subject, are have you gotten an, into any legal trouble recently? And this is part of like a community <laughs> service thing where you're <laughs> like kind of giving back because. <laughs> I don't feel like, you know, something here well, like the, the truth is I was told that I needed to bring some beer to this and talk. So I'm sitting in my car as I'm doing some tours for the book. So I haven't gone to jail yet, but tonight's probably the night because of this podcast. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I need I Matt, I need to have you follow follow me around and every time I enter a restaurant, just kind of announce man. that like they used to just like, did yeah. you know who's coming into the restaurant yeah. right now? This is the Dr. Matt yeah. Sachs. No, Matt is fine. And I really appreciate that. I think um, I am on here because, you know, I think the world of you, I think this could not be a better idea. And the idea of being a dad is so central to everything that we do. It leads everything that I am. So I love this idea. Couldn't be happier to talk to you. And I was told I could drink during this. So yeah, why would yeah. I not do it? Yeah, for sure. So um, uh, Matt, you said you're drinking Eagle Rare. Yes, I am. Um, other Matt, what are you drinking? So I am drinking Vega from uh, First Magnitude, which is a local brewery here in Gainesville. Uh, love it. Gainesville is an amazing place. So if you ever have a chance to come down, of course, Orlando and Tampa and Jacksonville, Miami, those are all good cities. But Gainesville is a great place. Come. You can stay with me. Please, please come down and try our beer. So I uh, we have family that live in just outside of Fort Lauderdale, Lauderdale by the sea. And we drive down and see them every year. So, you know, mm. may, maybe next time we're cruising that way, we'll have to make a little detour, stop, da stop down and, and say hi. I would love that. I would love that. You have a good time here in Gainesville. Yep. Now, did you find, did you find a dad joke? You know, I have a, I, so I, I thought about a dad joke, but That's here's right. what I tell my kids all the time. And, and this is really the quote, I think best defines my advice to them, right? When they do something that, clearly clearly it's just stupid i i always <laughs> say to them you better be tough if you're going to be stupid that's like the go-to that i say is <laughs> you better be tough if you're going to be stupid and that's it that's it and whether it's resiliency from leadership or any of those things you better be tough if you're yeah. going to be stupid and that's it i love that oh my gosh, gosh. is that trademarked no, I don't think it is. You can have it. You can tell people. The other thing I always say is like most of the time up until they're 16, there's not much that they can get into that I can't help them through. After that point, once they start driving and stuff, I'm like scared to death of that. So I'm like, you can make your mistakes now, but get them out of your way before you turn 16 and then we're going to be fine. So if if you're going to be, you know, you better be tough if you're going to be stupid is the, the thing that they hear from me maybe daily. Okay, like so I'm gonna call you Dr. Matt just so that it makes it a little I love that. Dr. Right, Matt's so, perfect. So Dr. Matt, um, I feel like that is the title. I know you have a book coming out or or out, <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, I would hundred percent read a book titled If You're Gonna You Better Be Tough if you're gonna be stupid. I feel like I think you got a bestseller on your hands. Listen, I think that so the book that's coming out is called The H Factor. And it's like my first shot at thought leadership. It's kind, it's thoughtful, I think it's really, really helpful. And I wrote it so I could write all these other books, which is, you know, you better be tough if you're going to be stupid. Or the next one I want to re write is about beach bars, going around to beach bars, mm -hmm. and it's going to be called Leadership is a Beach instead of uh, – so <laughs> there's just so many good ones out there yeah. to be written. I had to write a legitimate one so people yeah. will pay me to write the others after yeah, this. That, that makes sense, yeah. 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 Now, we've both shared what we're drinking. What are you drinking over there in the speakeasy? Yeah. Um, so, um, I have two things going. Um, one, I'm drinking that, uh, delicious beer from Isla Mirada. It's an IPA. 
um, their channel marker IPA. But then um, in a little bit, I am going to be pouring one of my favorite wintertime. Um, it's actually not a bourbon. It's a rye. Um, if you've never had Angel's Envy rye, mm. um, it's delicious. And it tastes like um, kind of like pancakes. I'm not going to lie to you about that. Mm. It is very good, which is uncharacteristic. So rye tend to be a little spicier. Um just because of what the the grain being rye that is the prominent ingredient in it, but there's this nice like smoothness um, to to it. So um, yeah, Angels Envy Rye. It's a it's a one of my more special bottles. It's not impossible to get a hold of by any means, but like, like you know, it it's special. So I like that. That's awesome. What I like most about that is if I were to ask you to describe your wife, you would say she's really nice. Yeah. And that would be it. Yeah. But the, the bottle you described with maybe 150 words. And I love every minute of that. <laughs> exactly. That was, and that was, that was like just the tip of the d- descriptor iceberg. That's right. You, you, had to, you had to pull it back a little bit. Yeah, I, do, yeah. I do love that. Yeah. It's, it's funny how some of those, right? We will say one thing. But then we spend more time describing like mm. the secondary item. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, I find myself doing that quite a bit. The um, our son now is uh, what his second birthday was in late October. So we're whatever months in now. And I'm a firm believer because I heard an old man at the gym describe his grandchild as like 57 months. Yeah, no. And so that, that's I want to exaggerate those point. months like for, you know, quite some time just because I think it's funny. So I don't know what months we're at. I don't math so good. But I've come to realize so many times uh, early on in fatherhood. And then in May, we celebrate five years of marriage. I have been more humbled in my life between work and being married and a dad in probably the last three years than I have in all 30 some years of my life. And like humility is something in, in, in this uneducated mind that was for weaker people or for just more whatever type people, but I didn't know what humility and being humbled meant, but I sure as heck have had a very fast lesson in what humility and being more humble means. And I think this is a hell of a topic to talk about for our work life, our home life, and just every facet as we grow in these stages of life. And and I think this is a heck of a, uh, a jumping off point. And it's, so- and it, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so, Dr. Matt, how would you, like, if you were going to define hum- humility and being humble in your own sort of way, how, how would you define that? I ask this question because I think a lot of times um, humility and humble kind of get, I don't know, they get like kind of a bad rap about it. Like, sure. oh, you know what I mean? Like, oh, weaker. I, what? I just got served a big old slice of humble pie or, you know, like those sorts of things. But there's not. I don't personally view it that way. So I'm just curious, right. like as the, the man, the myth, the legend that um, the end all be all resource to humility, as I give you such a humble intro. Wow. Uh, <laughs> no pressure. You need, you need two hype men. Yeah. <laughs> I see you both getting on that list. Uh, yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's really true is that we have painted humility in this way of, of being less than, or, you know, certainly having issues around being humble. Humble often is, is talked about when you hit rock bottom, you get humbled in that process. And I know, I think those are all true. I mean, I think, you know, if you're, if you're humbled because you hit rock bottom, that certainly is a, a way that you can view it. Let me tell you this. I, 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 I love my kids. My kids are amazing. They're wonderful. They have challenged me every moment. And when you say things like, marriage kids they humble you what i think you're you're kind of getting at is this idea of they give you a proper perspective they they show you what the truth of things are so that proper perspective becomes really important an example i always talk about every time i introduce myself i talk about being a father that's a really big part of me let me talk about you know when i became a father to two boys and i have a two boys carter and chase it was quickly you know, assigned to me two different responsibilities. The first 
is that birds and bees talk that I need to give them. And I look forward to giving that when they're 45 and, and I got it all planned out and that's going to be perfect. <laughs> the second is this idea of, of potty training, like, because my system and their system kind of align, it just made sense that I would be the person to teach them how to, 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 to be potty trained in. And Carter who is my older one? He's now 12. He's like everything that's good in life. Like every, every sweet, kind, innocent, naive. He is good. He, if he did one thing wrong, it was tricking me into believing that kids are like that. And when he became three, <laughs> when he became three, I, I I did what all academics do. I researched the crap out of this idea of of let's, let's figure out potty training. Like, how can I be the best father to potty train these boys? And so I, I talked to people and, and I looked it up on Google and I, like, I did everything I could possibly do. And it came back to this central point over and over and over again. You throw some Cheerios into the bowl and, and then you line them up and then they aim and, and you deliver And Carter got there. I did my best Tony Robbins speech, you know, had him walk over coals, was like, yes, we're going to do this. This is so important. You've got this. We're high fiving. I threw those Cheerios in and he did it. Like he lined up, he aimed, he hit them, he delivered, he loved it. He laughed. We laughed. I kind of walked out at that point, pounding my chest, thinking like this fatherhood stuff is easy. And then Chase, who is now 10, when he turned three, now here's the thing about Chase. Chase corrected everything Carter did wrong. Like every gray hair on my head is Chase. Like he is everything that a kid should be in this process. So when Chase turned three, had the same parents, had the same system, like got the same parenting in that process. So I was excited. I was like, God, this is so easy. I got this 100%. Same Tony Robbins speech, same walking across the coal, same already through those. He reached in and he ate them. Like he didn't, he didn't, he just ate them. He ate those Cheerios. And I didn't understand why in that process it didn't work. And, and when you talk about humility, like that's humility, it gives me a proper perspective. So when I talk about humility, I often talk about it's the proper perspective of understanding ourselves. It's the proper perspective of understanding other people. And it's the proper perspective of understanding our role in the bigger environment, something bigger out there. And when we understand it that way, it can be humbling to hit rock bottom, but it can also be humbling when your, you know, three-year-old son eats Cheerios out of a toilet and you're like, yep, no, I should, I should have handled this differently in this process. So I think my definition really is around that idea of being a proper perspective of ourselves, others, and the, the bigger picture. Man, he's good. Now, let me, let me, right? So I still remember uh, when, when we had you a part of um, our leadership program and you shared that, I remember writing down Cheerios when we start uh, potty training. Now, we have not potty trained yet. We're kind of waiting until about two and a half, but we're at that point where um, he has to poop in a corner and then tell you to look away. Um, or he's tugging his pants. So we're like, we know he's ready and he'll tell us and we'll rush him to the bathroom to sit on the potty, but he has not successfully gone uh, with us. He did once at daycare. So we're not quite there yet. We're not ready to actually potty train. Now, here's where I went wrong. I made a joke while he was just sitting there and, and Heather and I are just watching him sit there, right? And I go, do you want a magazine? And he goes, yes. And I hand him <laughs> my backpacker magazine it's upstairs. And where do I open it? No joke on like a cartoon picture of how to poop appropriately in the woods. Oh, so now well, that's perfect. When he's at home, he has to sit on the pot and look at the poop in the woods page. <laughs> <laughs> so I screwed up because a year ago or whenever, whenever we first worked together, I had written down and I have it somewhere in my like zoom internet uh, dining room office during COVID the notes from that session where I was like, try peeing on, on Cheerios. And I've done it. I'm, I'm dead on, like I'm a sniper, but like I had that tip for him. So <laughs> he actually got so excited that he went and bought Cheerios and threw them in just to see, like, I, I practice. Well, I mean, the thing is recording. Like, when, when you think about it, like, 
we're going to screw up these kids and we're going to screw up our employees. And like, as leaders, we're not perfect. We are completely imperfect. And that's a humbling moment. And we are completely incomplete. And that's a humble moment. And we are completely impermanent. And that's humbling. So the more that we recognize that and appreciate that and embrace that, like, I think that's perfect for your son. Like, if you think about learning humility, him having some recognition that pooping in the corner is not good is a humbling thing. It's saying like, geez, I'm learning that I shouldn't be doing this. And eventually I need to get that spot. You learning that you're going to screw up. Like every day I am like, how much am I screwing these kids up right now? And can I help them more than I can hurt them? And all every day when I go to bed, I think, man, I helped them a lot more than I hurt them today. And that's a great, that's a great moment. And you hope that from a leadership standpoint, you want to help your employees. You want to help your, you know, whoever you're working with. And I think that's all humility is, is understanding that we don't have to be perfect. This idea of a perfect notion of leaders, just a quick story. Like just two days ago, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw somebody say, uh, you know, this is a person I know. He's a leadership consultant. He's good enough, but he's like, you know, if you, I think it was something like, if you leave your shopping cart in the parking lot, you're not a good leader. Cause if you can't do the small things right, then you can't do the big things. Right. What a crap, a crap that is like that. That's a load of crap. Like I've left my shopping, like I've had two kids in the pouring rain and been like, somebody else is going to get this in this process. So the idea of us always making this perfect leadership or perfect father, that's entirely too much pressure. And the more we can embrace humility and say like, we're going to get this wrong. Let's try to get it wrong and, and learn together and grow together and be better. That's that's the important part. So, oh, go ahead, Matt. No, that 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 is actually some. You, you just hit something that I'm going through. I was telling you before uh, we were recording some of the things that I've been doing in my new role in my job, and um, I specifically told because um, it's just an office of two of us, and I specifically told my colleague. I said, look. I'm just going to be completely open and honest with you. I might be boss by title, but I'm going to let you know where I'm at. And I'm going to ask you to let me know where you're at, because this is going to be a really sucky process of the things that we're going through database wise, learning new things where we're two people doing all of this stuff. I said, but what I'm going to do is if I'm in a bad mood or there's something that's going to put up something where you you're afraid to come talk to me, I'm going to tell you, where I'm at. And I'm going to ask you to do the same because this is going to be hard. And then I quickly noted when this is all done, we're closing early and we're going to the brewery to celebrate. So use that as the carrot (laughs) dangling in front of us. But I share that story because it's, it's relevant to me right now, but I've learned from too many bad examples of leaders that I didn't want to do anything for you because I just outright thought you were nasty or you weren't there to lead, and I was opening myself up to help the cause. And, and that's why I think this is so important, whether it's work or at home or parenting or, or, or wherever we're at in our life, to really take a step back and say, where are we and how are we best leading? Because to, to quote watching um, Remember the Titans last night with, with Heather, attitude reflects leadership. That's right. So I don't know where I'm going with that, but what you said made me think about all of that. Yeah, I really love that. I think over and over again, what I'm finding is there's so much that pushes towards this idea of stop pretending, like stop pretending that we're more than like humility is that idea of a proper perspective. So we talk about, you know, proper perspective of ourselves, proper perspective of other things that, that show the undercover bosses, like a hilarious show of Somehow the CEO is so big that he can't, you know, like he has to dress up and to go down and find out what people are doing. And then he's an idiot and they give him feedback and he's humbled by the experience. But but the truth is, like all of us are doing that, whether it's it, it, it's in our job where we should go in and find out what we're doing or even, you know, with your wife or your kids. Like, what if you did undercover with your wife or undercover? With, like, what would they say about you? How would you be able to? And and would you find out that she's actually doing tons more or they're doing a lot more that you don't even know about that you can start to respect and engage in this process? My son had a, a project this week. We had to pick a a famous founding father to uh, to to write a report on. And you know this, like 
my God, I got a bazillion things going on. And then all of a sudden I got this report that we got to, we have to write, which means I have to put in yeah. a thousand yeah. hours in amazingly. So we're talking about which founding father we're going to go with. He has seen Hamilton a couple of times. So it was hard to compete against Hamilton, George Washington. And I, the only, the only chance I had is he's a huge Avengers fan. So I'm like, yeah, sure. George Washington is captain America. I get that. I get captain America, George, but you know, who's Tony Stark? Like he loves iron man. I said, Ben Franklin, we got to go. Ben Franklin is the man. And I make this argument to him. I'm like, we got to go Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin's amazing. Ben Franklin, listen to this. Ben Franklin, he invented swim fins. Ben Franklin, he invented like, you know, a lightning hitting the keys. I'm, I'm giving him my best speech. And then I tie a little humility in. I said, did you know Ben Franklin back in the day felt like he was doing a terrible job when he was in his teens, in his 20s. He failed businesses. Couldn't, he was a wretched man sort of thing. And he said, like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick 12 qualities that I'm going to practice every single day. Yep. Awesome. And then he went to a Quaker friend of his. And, and, and the Quaker friend said, like, listen, Ben, if you're going to do those 12, you should know that humility, you have none of it. Like, you should put that in as your 13th. He picks 13, he goes with humility, he practices humility, like every week he chooses a different competency. At the end of his life, he said, I got all 12 down, I know all 12, I just could never get to humility, which in fact, like, I mean, that's what you want somebody to say who has humility, is that they never were able to achieve it. There's so many things in Ben Franklin's life where, whether it was his way of debating others, where he was a just a jerk for a while and then realized it wasn't changing people's hearts and their minds. Like he was smarter than them. He could debate them out of the room, but realized like it didn't change anybody. And so it's unbelievable. Now we think about it with masks and COVID and all this other stuff. Like sometimes we just have to listen to people. And he realized that at the end at the constitutional convention, he got up at the end and said, I may not agree with everything that's in this, but I know enough to know that in my life, I have not agreed with things and then later on felt like it was right. So there's there's a really good chance that this is perfect. I would encourage everybody to do it. And it was that humility that everybody came and signed the Constitutional Convention. It's amazing because Chase picked Ben, but it had nothing to do... It had everything to do with him being on the $100 bill. He was like, oh, my God, he's on the $100 bill. This is amazing. I can't even believe it. After this, like, long speech of humility and how humble Ben Franklin was and how he learned this over time, and I get it had nothing. He was on the $100 bill, and that's the only reason he went forward with it, and and I was humbled in that moment that everything I said didn't matter at all. So I, I think there's really some truth to this idea of humility being an important part of fatherhood. Certainly. Uh, you know, being married, humble, you know that, uh, being humble in that moment every, and then leadership is just a, a relationship between people trying to achieve a goal. So there's a tremendous amount of humility in that. So here's the thing that I like, and you kind of said this before, um, I am starting to equate humbleness, and you use the word authentic, right? Mm-hmm. And authenticity. Um but, you know, I, I work as a counselor, and one of the big things that we see right now with the pandemic and, and everyone's just sort of treading water the best that they possibly can, um, you know, there's a lot of um, internal pr- pressure that people are putting on themselves, right? To, like, be perfect, to have all the answers. You know, I, I spend a lot of my time talking to parents of, like, what do I say to my kid when they ask me this? These sorts of things. Um and I talk to parents a lot and I don't use the word humble, but, you know, I suppose in some way I feel like based on what you're saying, I, I am actually kind of asking them to do this. And what I tell them is like developmentally authentic or appropriate authenticity. Right. And so like talking to them about like if you're upset about something that like it's OK that you cry in front of your your children. It's OK for you to say, like, I don't know the answer. Right. That like you're not meant to have all of these sorts of answers. And I think. In starting to look at it in that way, I think when um, 
when people are trying to find the answers, when their kids ask them these questions that are really hard that maybe they don't have the answers to or, or these really difficult situations, I notice for some parents, they kind of go into this mode, whether they say it out loud or not, of like becoming really hard on themselves. Like, why don't know? Well, why don't I know how to say that to them? Or how come I don't know the answers? Like, am I not a good parent? Those sorts of things. Um, and what you're saying is that like being humble, like that takes a lot of that pressure off. Like you're not saying like, I'm no good at this. I don't have any idea. You're just saying like, I'm still just a human being, right? Like I'm not, I don't have to have all of these answers. I'm not meant to know everything. Um, and so instead of feeling bad because you don't know the answers and thus increasing your level of anxiety and, and those sorts of things and maybe negative thoughts about yourself um, or the job that you're doing or you as a parent, um, what you're actually doing is actually practicing humility. And if you look at it from the aspect of you kind of flip the script and say like, yeah, I didn't know the, the answer to that, but like I was humble enough and I practiced humility in front of my child um, to tell them that, then it becomes less about not knowing the answer and more about providing them with a good, healthy example of what being an authentic human being is. Because we don't have all the answers. We're not supposed to have all the answers. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Like that's that's such a simple concept, but it's something we miss all the time is that like, we don't have all the answers. Like it's hard for people to hear that. It was, we do not have the answers. It's funny when you become a parent, you don't get divine wisdom. If you become a leader and be pushed into a position of a, a leadership, you don't just all of a sudden wake up the next day and have this divine wisdom. And, and I would take it even one step farther. You're not supposed to have the answers because your kids are going through a very different thing at where they're at, at their time, whether it's middle school, elementary, like you don't know what it's like to be them. In in the book, I talk a lot about this idea of like even cultural or racial issues that we're dealing with. Sometimes they talk about cultural competency, where if you could learn enough, you, you like read enough books, learn enough, you'll know the truth is that's just crap. It's like not true. Like you'll never know the lived experiences of another human being. So you have to practice racial or cultural humility. Just saying like, I want to learn from you. I want to learn what you've gone through. Like I want to learn what the pandemic's been for you or as a sixth grader or my, you know, my sixth grader, I often talk to them and just say like, I have no idea what it's like to be a sixth grader going through a pandemic. I have no answers, but we can talk about this and I can talk to you about should you wear a mask or should you not wear a mask? And how are you feeling? And, and that really is some humbling to that process of like, I don't have the answers, but I shouldn't have those answers because I don't know what's going on, how he's living, what friends he has, how, how that is playing out for him. So that conversation becomes really important as it is with leadership, as it is with dealing with some of the racial issues we're dealing with today. It's just, it's this idea of if we continue to learn, we continue to grow, we continue to have these conversations with people, opening that space is a really humbling place to be able to get to some answers that are collectively done instead of saying somehow, because I'm a parent, I now know what a sixth grader is going through in a pandemic. When frankly, I have no idea how they're even handling the internet at this point, let alone a pandemic. That was one early in my career when I thought I was going to go to grad school, become a teacher, all that. I ended up becoming a youth minister. And in becoming a youth minister, I was at a, a, a church that had a day school, uh, kindergartners through eighth grade. And then I was doing leadership development with the kids, all of this kind of stuff. And I remember one of the most eye-opening and I'll even say humbling experiences because it made me realize, and I was only 23 at the time. I had um, in the middle of a meeting that had our adult volunteers and our core team and our adult teen leaders, right? So teenagers, this would have been 2010, 2011. I think at that time I was probably 23, 24. So you have 50, 40 and 50 year olds, some 20 year olds, and then all 13 to, to 16, 17 year old kids. And I remember all of a sudden one kid and this is, you know, Facebook was just beyond you had to have a .edu, but it wasn't quite like my mom was on there. <laughs> um, if sure. that puts it in time, time frame. Right? And next thing I know, someone just goes, so-and-so is getting bullied right now. 
And then all of a sudden other people are sh- like reading the comments. And then as the meeting's going on, cause I remember saying, keep, keep me posted, but keep it, keep it quiet. Keep me posted. So next thing I know, an hour after the meeting, I'm on the phone trying to get a hold of his mom. Cause I had the emergency contact, right? I'm calling her cell. I'm calling their home. I'm calling her office number. This kid's in his bedroom, right? I don't know what he's doing, but he's probably at bed now because it ended up being like 10 o'clock at night. He's literally getting bullied at 10 o'clock at night in what should be the comforts of his own home. But because now we have social media at the time. And again, this is, you know, 12 years ago or whatever. But that was the first time in my life to say, although I'm I'm 10 years older than some of these these kids, I don't know what the hell they're going through. That's right. Yeah. So just like you said, I don't know what a sixth grader is going to go to, let alone or going through. You don't know what what your kids are going through. And and it it took this one time for me to realize, oh, shoot, when I'm a parent, I got to remember that because who knows what it's like to be blank during a pandemic? Shoot, I don't even know what it's like because I can't ask any other leaders. Hey, so I can learn when you led through a pandemic before. How did you lead your corporation? Because everyone's learning that book right now. That's such a great perspective. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I think it's just true. Go ahead. No, no, Sean, please, please. I was going to say, I think, um, well, first of all, that's why I say that no um, cell phones or tablets should be allowed in the bedroom. Absolutely. Um, for that exact reason, actually. I don't so that- ever bring mine into our room. Yeah. It's just the bed's for two things, and, right. and majority of the time it's sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> Um, humility so, right there, yeah, right I, there. I go to bed within 90 seconds of laying in the bed. Yeah, Heather will sure. tell you, I've fallen asleep while she's talking to me because my body knows once I'm in bed because of what screens can do to you in bed, let alone the added stress and yeah. things. And now we're getting off topic of humility, anyway, but yeah, never, yeah. never do I bring it in. So, um, there's that sort of piece. Um, oh man, now I lost my train of thought. Yeah, giggity. Yeah, I don't know. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> I love that. I love that. No, I, I think you're you're both so right with that. Yeah, it's just there. There's a lot that we try to put on ourselves that we really don't. And I talk a lot about just the self stuff. Is like we're completely imperfect, and that's that's like okay, that's good. There's this there's this term called wabi sabi from a Japanese cul- culture, which is like the perfection of imperfection. Like if we were all perfect, everybody could do everything. Like everybody could be a father to your kids. Everybody could be the job that you have, but it's our strengths and our weaknesses and all those unique things about us that make us special. And some of that is our imperfections in that process. And then the incompleteness is, that's my big piece is, especially being a professor is like we're incomplete. So if we think about it, I, I think currently there is maybe 86,000 sedentarians, people who are over a thousand years old or a hundred years old, but that's going to grow. Like by the year 2050, that's supposed to get up to like 500,000 people. The chance that you'll live to be a hundred is, is reasonable. So if you think about that, like whatever your age is right now, that's how far you've downloaded your life. And for me, it's 44 years old. Like if I were downloading something and I was at 44%, I'd be like, this is freaking taking forever in this. Pro-. But I don't think of it that way because I'm like, oh my God, I already know everything. And so I'm already so old. But the truth is we're always learning. We're always, you know, that's the idea of humility is that we're always learning. We're always growing. We're always learning new stuff from new people. As soon as we give up on that, we get, you know, arrogant, narcissistic, whatever those words are you want to use in that process. I know what I was going to say. Um, as I reflect, uh, you know, I work in an office of, uh, there's four of us um, in the in the main office, and, and we each all have our, our sort of roles within that. There's the head of the kind of the principal, the assistant principal, um, the director of programs, and kind of dean of students, and then me. Um, and one of the times that I have felt, uh, the times that I have felt most um, comfortable, valued, and like close to my boss and my colleagues are actually moments where one of them looks at me and is like, well, this isn't my 
area of expertise, like this is your ex- area of expertise, like what should we do? Having like someone who leads you say like, hey, this is like, you know about this. What do you think? What do we do about that? Instead of being like, well, I made it this far. I'm the boss. I know exactly what to do. Um, and just the irony, um, you know, which it's not, that doesn't surprise me when you really stop to think about it. But like we get this in our head where we have, we again, like, like we feel like we have to know it all. Um, but actually when we encounter people who act like they know it all, um, usually we can't stand them. <laughs> like you, you actually look for the person that like can admit like, Hey, help me out with this or those sorts of things. Um, you know, like, I'm thinking of, of one of my colleagues in particular. Our offices are right next to each other. We've worked together now for six years. Um, and it it's taken a, quite a while, to be honest, um, for us to find this like nice groove of me being able to go and be like, hey, I don't know what to do with this. or And her being like, I don't know what to do with this. And being able to have those sort of um, conversations. And it's actually a... Anytime you do that, it's an opportunity for authentic communication versus an opportunity for you to put up a fake wall. And I can't stand the phrase actually fake it till you make it. Um, Cause I, I mean, I, I understand, I see like the sort of like jovial side to it, but I think there adds a level of toxicity to it where it's kind of telling you like, well, just pretend like you know everything. Well, maybe you don't maybe maybe you find the people that help you grow into that instead of instead of just faking it um so that you know i was just kind of reflecting on my own personal um experiences and things and how um you're kind of it's this like dual-sided piece of you kind of have to fight or i personally have to fight this like you're supposed to know all the answers while also recognizing that the times that i feel most close are when people allow other people to be experts and so for my own sort of piece, you know, I think I can be a little more humble in also making sure to seek out other people's expertise. Right. Um, I don't know. It's just something yeah. interesting to think about. That's, that's exactly right. I mean, that's the proper perspective is that we're not going to always know. So when we talk about the proper perspective of ourselves, how we relate to others or, or that much bigger picture uh, and how we fit into that system For the book that I wrote, I had a nice opportunity to reach out to this gentleman named Laszlo Block, and and he was the vice president of Google um, from, you know, I think it was for 10, 15 years when it was kind of coming up and, and, and doing just amazing work. And we talked for a while about this idea of humility, and the reason I talked to him is I don't know if either of you seen the movie The Internship with Vince Vaughn and Owen Love Wilson. Love it. Love Such it. a freaking great, great. But they 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 do Zoom before Zoom was what it is now. Yeah. And they're doing this this interview to get this internship. And they, they ask a the question. Movie. Yeah. G- g- they ask this question of yep. if you're shrunken down to the size of a nickel, how do you jump out of a blender? And that I mean, they're they're phenomenal in their answer. They're like, oh, we wait until the blender burns out and then we jump out and we're su- tiny humans that are saving the world. Thank you so much for letting us be tiny humans to say it. And it's just hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. Best scene in the but movie. The, best scene in the movie. But the truth is, those were questions that Google asked from two from 1991 to 2001. They asked questions like, if you were the size of a nickel, how do you jump out of a blender? Or how many potholes or pot um pothole covers are in New York City, or how much does the Empire State Building weigh? And the truth is, when this Laszlo Block came on, he was like, what the hell are we asking these questions? Like, is there any correlation to how well people do? Because here's the thing with Google, is it's 12 times harder to get into Google than it is Harvard. So they get smart freaking people at Google. When they asked these questions, they found that like there was no correlation between how people answered the question and if they were good at Google. And he completely changed the system and said, instead of asking those stupid questions, what we're going to do is we're going to ask questions about humility. We're going to ask you, like, was your title, you know, appropriate for what you did? Or how do you think about your boss? And they started to rate people based on their humility, because if people are smart and they come in and they realize they're not the smartest person or they're one of smartest people in the room, they're more willing to work together And that's the key is somebody to say, like, I just don't know, because as soon as we become a leader, we fear so much saying we don't know 
that we, we, we will just move forward with some kind of charismatic narcissism that like, oh, I got the answer when all of the research, and there's so much research that supports, if you just go to your employees, you go to your followers and say, I don't know, they will be empowered to find you the answer if you're a good person. They will go, they will find the information, they will collectively come together. And that's what he said is we needed people who would work together, who would be humble, who wouldn't believe that they had every single answer so that we could build the best. And it exploded what Google was doing. I, I, I am in awe of his insight back in 2000, uh, 20, uh, 2001, 2002 to be able to do that. So I think you're 100% right, Sean, in, in when you're talking about that. Well, I, I think we've all seen friends or, or, or bosses that if they know it all, it shuts us out. Well, wh- what am I here for then? Yeah. Why, why am I a part of this team? Why am I putting this energy? And and hearing hearing that story and hearing Sean what you said just before that uh, reminded me one one of the most eye opening leadership lessons I ever learned was not a lesson at the time I actually hated it when I was in the Coast Guard and we were learning navigation and we were training to be a coxswain the coxswain being the one that's at the helm steering the boat right every time before anything changed whether before before we changed course or we were looking for someone that we were trying to go rescue on a search and rescue case or whatever it was, you had to ask someone who was looking at the compass what direction we're at. If someone saw something, they had to tell you where it was before you made the decision to change course. You had to call in to always check in on certain times with, with the base so that they could track where you were on the waypoints to follow the course you're on. Before you made any move, you had to rely on all of these other people. And so I share that story because I didn't learn it at the time, but now being a first time like real leader of a team and organization, I've come to realize I don't have all the answers, but I have the skill set. I can navigate, no problem, but I need this, this, and that to help me get that right course. Because unlike the other bosses that I learned from who thought that they had it all, they would have crashed or they crashed the the morale of the team. Yeah, it's the proper perspective. Once again, it keeps coming back to this idea, the proper perspective. When can we have the proper perspective of ourselves, other people, and what they add to us? And then, once again, that bigger picture. So, okay, I'm going to switch this a little bit outside of work to more like family. Um, yeah, please. And, and uh, relationships at home. <laughs> so where does learning to bite your tongue fit within humility? <laughs> That's the next book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I guess it depends on w- what you mean by bite your tongue. Uh, in, you know, I, I think that collaborative, authentic communication is really important. But once again, going back to the idea of proper perspective is like, is this the hell you're going to die on sort of thing? And, and do you want to die on this hill? And if you do, don't bite your tongue. If you don't, maybe maybe let it go. I, I think. Oftentimes when two people are really humble, you don't have to bite your tongue. But if other, like going to someone else and saying, hey, you need to be really humble. And that's the cool thing about my book is like the people who most need my book will probably never read my book about humility in this process. So I think that's true. I think what we can do is better be humble for ourselves. Say, you know, that this is what this person believes. This is where they're at and go from there. You're, well, you're, okay, you're so, probably right, though, because if you're a bad speaker and you know you're a bad speaker, you're going to pick up a book on how to be a better communicator. If you're not humble, you don't know that. No, in fact, narcissists believe that they're the most humble people out there. They tell you that all the time. How great and humble. I mean, <laughs> actually, there there have been past presidents who've said they are the most humble person out there in the process. So I think we, we have that in, in this process is understanding that whether you're narcissistic, you're arrogant. One thing I do want to say is like narcissism or arrogance is not the opposite of humility, the opposite of somebody who's really arrogant or overconfident, the opposite of that is someone who is lacking any confidence, completely losing confidence. What I often talk about is humility is this really wonderful characteristic we have that gets us to the sweet spot. So you don't want to be arrogant, but you certainly don't want to have no confidence. 
confidence. You want to have that sweet spot in the middle and humility gets you there. Creativity is the same way. If you don't want to be eccentric, so nobody understands what the heck you're talking about, and you don't want to have no creativity, but humility allows you to understand the proper perspective to be able to say, I need creativity. I want to push the bounds, but I don't want to push it so much that people can't understand where I'm at at this point in time. So humility, I think, is kind of that virtue or or mindset, and I talk a lot about it, as a mindset that helps you develop all the other characteristics of leadership to get to that really nice sweet spot. And it changes. The sweet spot changes just like a radio dial. If you're if you're driving with your grandmother, you're not going to you know, push the radio up all the way to 10. But if you're sitting in the car, singing to your favorite song, Matt, what's your favorite song? Right now it's the shark song. Oh, damn right. Yeah. You throw up the shark song. Do, do, do today. Yeah. I mean, you're crushing it and you're, you're screaming <laughs> at the top of your lungs. So the sweet spot is different depending on where you're at. Just like on the radio, when your grandma's in the car or she's not in the car in that process. So I have I think sung that song. Just about that. Ska punk, heavy metal, Hell I've yeah. done an opera. I have done that shark. I, we made it into a soccer chant. I mean, I have sharked the <laughs> shit out of that song. I'm How could you not? <laughs> How could you? It's so simple and so great. <laughs> um, so I was thinking about too. One of the things I work with, um, early like early early childhood educators, um, kids as young as like three years old, mm. and um, I remember having a conversation with. Uh, one of them years ago about they were having trouble like felt like a, a, one of their students maybe wasn't where they they needed to be and there were some challenging things and I remember having to sit down and say like look you're um, the beginning cog of a of a much bigger sort of um, piece to all of this like this child's like school journey and um and not, you know, just all sorts of things, not just the, the, the child, but just everything. Um, and so like this, the things that you're worried about and those sorts of things, um, I need you to do your part so that next year someone can do their part and someone can do their part. And so that like we can help this these individuals over a longer period of time. And I, I kind of feel like part of um, being humble and maybe I'm wrong um, as I'm hearing you say this is also sort of being able to say like, there's nothing wrong with being able to say like, I am good at what I do and I understand the importance of what I do and how that plays into a larger sort of um, narrative. Right. Um, you know, I think, and, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. You can be humble and also recognize that you're good at what you do. Right. Is that, is, is that fair? So, so I, you know, in that definition I keep talking about is this proper perspective of self. So we understood that and others, but this larger picture is such a, is exactly what you're talking about is at the end of it, this transcendence, this idea that we are only part of a system that is much bigger. And it's, it's understanding two things. One, that what we do matters. We, we have an impact on people and also understanding that what we do doesn't matter to some degree. Like we are one of billions of people on this planet. And it's it's the wrestling of both of those that's very humbling. One of the ways to build humility is through awe. And awe is an amazing way. So when you go out and see the ocean, you become very humble because you see how big things are. But another way to build humility is through purpose. What's my purpose and how how am I contributing to something much bigger than myself? So whether it's the organizational purpose, maybe it's a religious purpose, maybe it's it, it's a, a community purpose, but it's really humbling to know that to extend my humility, I have to transcend myself, transcend this other connection but really be something connected to a much, much bigger piece. And whether that's kind of ecological humility and, and some of the climate change stuff we're dealing with, or just my family, like how am I one part of a big family that I'm trying to engage with, grow, and, and, and certainly everything points to purpose and how do I contribute to this overall purpose and the humbling understanding that I'm only one piece contributing to it, but also that I am an important piece contributing to it is really, really important in that process. So I think you couldn't be more right. I think you said purpose and, you know, the counselor in my brain um, 
I feel like there's almost there's also a, a thin but very distinct and important line between um, you know recognizing that you're part of a bigger sort of piece, which can um, if you only focus on that piece, then um, you know you could sort of make an argument for um, looking at it from like, well, what I do doesn't matter and those sorts of things. But recognizing that you also have purpose and impact is the difference between being humble and <laughs> worrying about being depressed, right? I mean, like that sounds like so simple or, or so silly, but like, you know, looking at it from that that perspective or just like there's the, dis the distinct difference between recognizing that you're good at what you do and you have purpose um, without recognizing that you're a part of a, a, a bigger thing. Now you're talking about like narcissism. And so like, I like how you're talking about like that sweet spot um, of you need a balance of both. You need to like both be aware and be able to say like, I'm good at what I do. I have purpose. I have impact. But I also recognize that it's not like the end all be all. Um, and I, I, I think it, it well, comes down to that balance. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because two ways that humility can happen on that big level is one through shame. So you often hear uh, AA uses 12 steps and throughout all 12 steps, there's humility. I mean, humility is a central part of AA. So with shame, now the problem with shame when you get to humility is it makes you realize that you're small, but it it turns you inward towards your smallness. So you start to feel bad about that, where right. awe is the other way. And what awe does, amazingly what awe does is it makes you feel small, but it focuses you outward. So you're not thinking of shame or I'm bad. You're thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm part of this bigger picture. And that's kind of the dynamic of it is shame will get you there, but shame is never a recommendation that I would have because it makes you focus more on why you are not good enough compared to the bigger picture. Now, when you have shame, and I think AA does an amazing job of saying like, this is a bigger problem. You have to turn it over. You have to care about other people. You have to make amends. You have to, I think number the number one kind of step in that is like, turn it over to something bigger and realize that you don't have control over this. But once again, it's saying that I don't have control. So I, I am in shame in this process. So it really is that distinction of, both of them make you feel small. One makes you feel small and you're inward focused. The other one makes you small and you're outward focused. And then we don't focus so much on why we're not good enough, big enough. We just are amazed at how big the world is and that we can contribute to that in that process. So I love that. And I think that sweet spot is so important. If you wrote a book on finding the sweet spot, what would you call that? I'm I'm just curious. Do you, do you have like a nickname for that sweet spot? Do you have like something catchy? I did read a book. It's called The H Factor, which is great and you should definitely pick it up. Uh and, so I and, love that. When, it's when, in when, there. When, I do I have a whole chapter on the sweet spot and actually it's not my it's not my idea. Everything comes from people in the past and that's a humbling moment. Oh, is, isn't that think, humble of you? No, no. I, like, I think it's so true. Like every single leadership thought leader says like, oh, I thought of this. And you're like, bullshit, you did not think of it. Like, I know the person who thought about this a hundred years. Aristotle, Aristotle talks about this idea of the golden mean. And while he didn't say the golden mean shifts, so maybe what I added to it was the idea that we can shift it a little. He talked about the golden mean. And he said between two extremes, an extreme of excess and deficiency, there's this sweet spot in the middle. He didn't call it a sweet spot, but he called this golden mean in the middle. So all I did was steal from him and say like, man, this is a great idea. I think it's humility that gets you there. And I do think that that's a moving sweet spot based on the context. So if you want to be humble or like, if you think about ambition, like you would hope that a salesperson at a car lot would have a different level of sweet spot than a pastor would have, but they both should have humility to know that like working way too hard is not good or not working hard enough is not good in that process. So that sweet spot's really important. I credit Aristotle with that. That's really important to do. Everything you read today goes back to something someone else has thought of to this point. It's just we're repackaging it, understanding it, and hopefully applying it to the context we're in right now. And that's really freaking important. It's important and it's humbling to do that. I know who I, I feel know. bad for. 
the dude that Aristotle stole it from because you know he didn't come up with it on his own. No, you're damn right. You're damn right. It was like <laughs> Joe. It was yeah. Joe who was talking at like the convenient Martin Greece and he was like, ah, yeah. geez, you know, and yeah. he just started yeah. writing it down. Yeah. But, Aristotle stole from Plato, and Plato stole it from I don't know. Jesus. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know who this Harry Stottle is, but what what I will say is this all came from you, Doc. And if someone listening wanted to learn more, where can they find the book? Where where can they find more on you? That's right. So the book is on Amazon. Definitely go do that. Look up. You can certainly reach out and contact me. I love getting emails. I love my my last name, S-O-W-C-I-K at UFL.edu. Send me an email. We'll talk about this stuff. And I also am on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. There isn't a place you can't find me humbly. Um, thank you for asking that. Absolutely. And thank you for being here. Uh, well, sort of being here. You're, you're in a car. Where'd you say Savannah? No, not Savannah. No, yes. Gainesville. Come no, on, the beer's man. from Gainesville. Oh, the Gainesville. Yeah. I don't know where it is. Yes. yes. Well, yeah. So I'm in Savannah right now. Yes. That's right. Oh, okay. That's right. Boom. Yes. I was listening. You weren't humble. No. Anyway. Do you want me to say Gainesville? No, I was in Gainesville right now. That's fine. That's how, now that I know you were <laughs> humble about that moment, I'm changing it. I'm in Gainesville. <laughs> You'll never know where I am right now. It's like where in the world. He's in front of your in front of your house, actually. (laughs) That's what those lights are. Anyway, I'm actually doing this from inside your house. (laughs) You're upstairs. That's why everyone's quiet. (laughs) Well, Doc, it's great to have you on. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, Sean. As always, it's an absolute pleasure to uh, to be doing this with you. And thank you, whoever you are, wherever you're listening, however you're listening. Thank you so much. We absolutely appreciate that you took the time out of your day, out of your night, whenever you're listening, um, to 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 support us, a small local um, ish uh, podcast. Please drop us a line, Instagram, Facebook, MySpace, any really platform we're on, or drop us a line and tell us how we're doing at the dadass podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, stay humble, dadass. Hey, you better be tough if you're going to be stupid. <laughs>